Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. AVOD has become the hot new way to watch streaming. It stands for Advertising-Based Video On Demand, which is ironically like the days of traditional broadcast TV. It's free to watch, but you must sit through the commercials. No fast-forwarding. These are channels like YouTube, Facebook Watch, Tubi, and Vudu, and Freebie, which is Amazon Prime's version of AVOD. One of the first original shows they've launched is Sprung. It's also the first COVID comedy. Governor's letting out a bunch of nonviolent inmates because of the coronavirus. What the hell's a coronavirus? The state has issued a shelter-in-place order. You need to stay in your home. Well, we've been in prison. We don't have a home. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit of a head-scratcher. You can stay at my mom's place for a couple of nights. Hey, Mommy. Hey, shithead. That's the plot of Sprung in a nutshell from the trailer. After several inmates, including Garrett Dillahunt, are released with nowhere to go, they end up crashing at the home of a wacky woman played with a plum by Martha Plimpton. Speaking of actors, longtime local actor Bridget Gethins scored a juicy part in the show. So we're going to chat with her today about Sprung, some of the other movies she's been in with stars like Robert Redford, and her husband Greg Leach's own TV fame. Sifter, review of the week. Honk for Jesus, save your soul. Now in theaters and streaming on Peacock. Fortunately, Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall head up this cast and are almost the only characters because their acting skills are what works about this film. They play the husband-wife team of a large evangelical church who are trying to make a comeback after a scandal. The not very original framing device is that a documentary crew is following them as they cope. Even though this feels like it should be a comedy and there are definitely satirical angles, the funny never happens. Plus, there's a dark undertone to their relationship that adds conflict. While the duo is working hard, the writing is uninspired and the direction doesn't help. The result is an acting exercise for the cast and a sad satire for the viewer. I gave it two out of five stars. Bridget Gethins, welcome to Sifter. Thank you. I'm very pleased and and honored to be here. So do you remember the job we did for RACSB, which stands for Rappahannock Area Community Services Board? Oh, my God. Yes. Heavy drama. Do you remember that nightmare thing? Yes. You were the mother of a child who had been abused. Kelly Scallion, actually, whose mother is Vicki Scallion, who runs Hat Theater, was the daughter. For some stupid reason, I decided to do the whole thing in one continuous take. And you had to do this heavy monologue. I don't know how many times, but you got through it and it it worked out. But do you remember anything about that other than that it was... Oh, I, I do. I remember how intense it was and just how horrific that child and that mother went through. Right. Because it was based on real stories. It's a real story of alcoholism, drug abuse, blacking out, and then having her boyfriend rape her daughter. Wow. You remember it really well. Yes. No, it stuck with me. Well, we're going to move forward now. Speaking of impressions and acting, how did you get started in acting? I started with my brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of seven in a very Irish Catholic family. I was born in Ohio. I'm an army brat. The Philippines, Germany, Nebraska, New Jersey. And then we fi- I finally landed in Virginia when I was 11. Oh, okay. The reason I ended up in Richmond in 1977, I wanted to join the Dramatic School of the Arts in New York City. And my father, with his very thick probe, was like, you're not going there. 
you lay in the street and come up with the dirt and the fleas and then become a drug addict and a prostitute. And that's the way it is in New York, right? (laughs) And then, you know what? I just saw a documentary on New York at that time, and he was pretty much right. I mean, (laughs) if you think about it. (laughs) Right, right. But then a friend of mine, she was at VCU in their theater program, and I fell in love with Richmond. So I went to VCU. Uh, and it was my brothers and sisters. I would make up stories and tell them stories. I mean, we would be in places where there was no television. Oh, there wow. was no. Yeah. And so. So you were the entertainer. I was the entertainer and I just loved it. And I actually saw my very first stage production in Stuttgart. And it was the opera of Hansel and Gretel. And wow. I was mesmerized. I was like, I want to be an actor. And how old were you then? Eight. Oh, wow. Okay. So it made yeah. an impression, obviously, right then. Yeah. I was eight years old. And then when we got back from Germany, we landed in Ohio and took me to see, take me along. And I met Gene Kelly. Wow. Gene Kelly was so nice to my sister and I, my cousin. And his daughter, Bridget, was my sister Amy's age. And we were backstage and he just talked to us and told us things. And that was my first musical in the United States that I ever saw. And I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. So, of course, I did everything in high school and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. You did musicals? I haven't, I'm not familiar seeing you on stage singing. My first professional show in Richmond was uh, The Pirates of Penzance. Oh, well, that's a musical. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, that's not how I sing. Okay. That sounds pretty good. There you go. (laughs) So what was your transition? You leave VCU, you're working in Richmond, and you went right into work in Richmond after you graduated, didn't you? I didn't get to graduate. Oh, okay. I was untrainable in a university setting. (laughs) (laughs) And that's held on all these years, right? (laughs) But it kind of coincided with everything that was happening in my life. Greg and I had just gotten married. It was my junior year. And I found out I was pregnant. Oh, wow. I said, well, we're going to have, let's have him. And because Greg and I are, you know, we were young. We were like 20, 21. And we're like, yeah, let's have a baby and go to college. And that's what we did. I toured children's theater. Greg did shows. And um, let me just interrupt real quickly. We probably should tell people Greg is your husband, Greg Leach, who's also a well known Richmond artist. Yes. And you know what? Today is our 42nd wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. That's great. Mark and I go 32 next oh, that's year. That's right. So. We talked about that. Congratulations yeah, yeah. to you yeah, guys. Thank you. So, anyway, so how did you get from doing theater and suddenly there's this movie world? How did that transition happen? That transition happened in a very strange way. Bean Garby. Do you remember Bean Garby? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Bean Garby was working with Liz Marks doing Uptown Talent. And they were brought in on Toy Soldiers back in 1991 to do the extras casting and day players. Footnote. Toy Soldiers is a 1991 movie about students fighting back when terrorists take over their boarding school. And... Ivy, the woman who came from L.A., kept firing everybody. So Bean decided, we'll bring in Bridget. And sure enough, it worked out. So I saw it from that view. I'd never really been interested in it at all. And then I worked on another project as a second, second AD. And so I worked with Max Schul, Kira Sedgwick, Kevin Bacon. He was just in the background with the baby. Maureen Stapleton. It, just this amazing cast. And that was the last time I was behind the camera. And the first time that I was actually close to the camera was because of Agnoshka Holland in a film called Washington Square. Footnote. Washington Square was an adaptation of the Henry James novel that stars Jennifer Jason Leigh, Maggie Smith, and Albert Finney. But what happened on that set is Albert Finney 
because I was like in lots of scenes with him. He told me stuff because Agnoshka Holland like would have the camera go for like 10 minutes nonstop. Like wow. we did in that monologue. Right, right. And right. uh wasn't quite and, 10 minutes, but yeah, same thing. Yeah. But I mean, that's what she would do. And he just explained stuff to me. I had a great impression on what it would be like to be on a movie set because I was seated through Albert Fitty. And I was put up for a Virginia lottery commercial and I got it. So I got to, and I did a bunch of commercials and then I auditioned for Asunder. Footnote. Asunder was a feature from New Millennium Studios, which was created in the Petersburg area by Tim and Daphne Reed. Daphne was adamant that I should do the opening scene in that movie. And that's how I got my first speaking part. And then from there, I got Homicide, Life on the Streets. Now, uh, where was that shooting? That one in Richmond, was Baltimore. it? Baltimore. Baltimore, okay. Before they gave me a speaking part, they brought me in, and it was Steve Buscemi who was directing. And it was just a featured background part. But from that, like a month or two later, they hired me to do Mrs. Rapolo. And my kid is the murderer. And so we got to be in the, in the room with, you know, Richard Belsner and everybody. It was cool. Surprise guest drop in. Why don't you unmute and say hello there? See if you recognize this voice, Bridget. She's going to recognize this voice. It would be Carrie. Footnote. Carrie Womold is the theater director and public school teacher. How do you guys know each other? Well, we had worked together, but we became closer friends when Mary Sue Carroll became ill. And during her months of illness... We were two of her closest friends, so we would talk to each other as well. And I think that's how we became close friends, although I had already directed Bridget in Heathen Valley and The Cripple of Inishman by that point. Bridget did something amazing and special, and that's the thing I wanted to talk about. And that is back in, I want to say 1989, Bridget had the foresight to interview Teresa Pollock. Footnote, Teresa Pollock was an artist who is credited with starting the School of the Arts at RPI, now VCU, in 1928. And she talks about the history and the genesis of Richmond, the arts movement, not just theater, visual, all of it. And she's very open and engaging. And that's what got me as interested in her as Bridget already was. People in Richmond still think the Pollock building's named after Jackson Pollock. (laughs) She was a very, very instrumental person in Richmond. And this Teresa Pollock project that really Bridget started and I jumped in on is very meaningful. And I think it could be a big thing for the Richmond community at large. Carrie, since you have directed Bridget a couple of times, tell me what you remember about working with her. She can get a little creative with her lines, but generally she only makes it better. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's that. <laughs> quality of her acting. I mean, when we did Heathen Valley, she was nominated for Ben Phoebe Award for Supporting Actress. And that performance was really the anchor of the show. And then in Cripple of Inishman, you know, Bridget got to do her excellent Irish dialect. If you want somebody who's going to really take the stage and take over, you want to get Bridget. And that's how I feel about Bridget as an actress. Thank you. Never knew that. Oh, she's so touched. (laughs) I am. She knows it. Well, uh, Carrie, we want to thank you. We know you've got to get to it. Bless you, child. Bless you. Yes. Oh, she says in her little Irish accent, which I cannot do, so I'm not even going to try it. Thank you so much. I know you got a big meeting to get to, but thanks for dropping in. I appreciate it. Bye, Bridget. Bye, Jerry. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.
We're going to talk about some of your other roles, but I want to fast forward because people want to know about Sprung, which uh, is now on Freebie. And it's very interesting. I explained at the opening of the show about Freebie, which is the new service. And it's actually, as far as I know, it's the first COVID comedy. Yes, it is. There only been two episodes dropped so far, which I watched, and it's very funny. And there you are, <laughs> the, the obnoxious lady across the street screaming about the garbage. Well, Barb and I go way back, and our big confrontation happens about two or three more episodes in. Oh, great. Well, we'll have to wait <laughs> to see that. So give us the little, the quick plot of that. What's it about, and who's in it? The star is Garrett Dillahunt, and I mean, he's amazing. Always is. Yeah, and he's a wonderful man. And as is uh, Greg Garcia, the creator and director. I've never seen a director have so much fun on a movie set. And you wow. know the hours. You're there 14 hours, 12, you know, it's crazy. And it's just a positive vibe throughout the entire thing. And then, of course, Martha Plimpton. I mean, she's outrageous in this. Hello. She's loving it. She's having such a good time. I just want to back up and tell people that Greg Garcia or Gregory Thomas Garcia, as he used to be, who's actually a Virginian, he created My Name is Earl, which I didn't watch, but Raising Hope, which I watched every episode and loved it. And that had Martha Plimpton and Garrett yeah. Dillahunt in that. So obviously, Garcia really liked working with them because he called him up and said, yeah. hey, let's do this new show. Yeah, they're very good friends. And they're executive producing this Show. Right, right. Helping with that. Yeah. Where did it shoot and how long were you on set? It shot last fall. It's, I think it started in August and it went through November and it was in Pittsburgh. And I was there for two and a half weeks. And I'm assuming all the COVID protocols were offset, were happening. But yeah, it was a very tight ship. And there was no hanging out with everybody and any of that. Well, that sucks. So you didn't get to hang around with Martha or Garrett at all? or We wanted to, but it was the middle of the night and we were shooting. They were up these huge stairs. And I have a limp. I'm a limpy person. And I was like, I can't go up there. And Martha really wanted me to. And I just went. By the way, she she just kissed and looked up for those who are listening. Right. But, you know, she and I would yell at each other, you know, across the way. And she said, you give great face, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a fun show. I guess overall it was a Yes, it was so much fun. Um, yeah, and it's Rotten Tomatoes 75, but the audience is 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a lot so of that's fun. Good. And it's going to get crazier and funnier as it goes. Is there anything else you can tell us about your role or your experience that you're allowed to say before it's released? You mean that I'm the old bitch on the yeah. street? <laughs> well, that was obvious from the first episode, screaming. The old yeah, bitch. right, right. What was your, what was it actually listed in, in the script as? Sylvia, I'm Sylvia. Oh, Sylvia. Oh, she's not the old bitch. Right. No, Sylvia and Barb have been neighbors for a very long time. Okay. And they don't like each other. <laughs> that was obvious. Yeah, yeah. And if you kind of look, it's like Sylvia's in a much larger house than Barb. Right. And <laughs> they haven't revealed any of it, so I don't think I can. Did you get to actually read the whole season or just your size? Just my, just my episodes. I've read three of the episodes. That's the other thing that's changed in television, you know, our transition into streaming is just that it used to be you wrote the pilot and that was shot and everybody was it was an ongoing writing now it's like a film it's written start to finish right right start to finish and it also shoots like a feature film based on location uh -huh, so right. you know you're on that set that day just because of the location so everything's like out of order and you really have to have your head in the game Hopefully it will get continue and hopefully more people hear about it because it is Amazon's first big launch as freebie. So yes, yes. They, so they put some heft behind it too. 
Now let's talk about some of these other things you've done. I mean, you were in A Walk in the Woods. Footnote. A Walk in the Woods is a 2015 film starring Robert Redford and Nick Nolte as two old friends who hike the Appalachian Trail. I couldn't believe Robert Redford wanted to work with me. He wanted to work with you? What? Yes. <laughs> How did that happen? My character actually camped ground Jeannie. She was a real person. And she ran the Rainbow Campground on the Appalachian Trail. And so they had to change her name to Campground because she was like, I don't want to be involved with this blankety blank, blank, blank. So even though it was Nick Nolte and Robert Redford, she still was like, no way. From what they've told me, she was just like, bah. and she was just as mean and gruff as can be. And I don't know if you know this, but that's one of my specialities is mean and gruff. <laughs> <laughs> So how did he end up wanting you in the show? How did he even know about you? Well, because they sent in the reels, they plucked me out, and they brought me to Georgia. And I auditioned for everybody. And Ken, the director, he said, we were thinking of just cutting that whole part out. And then we saw you, and we said, we can make this work. I mean, everybody there was so seasoned. How did Redford figure into wanting you in it? He got final approval of who oh, you're of course. working with. Right. And of course, he's a nice man. He's a really nice man. And so is Nick. And it was funny because Nick's knee had gone out and he was going to have knee replacement. And I had had knee replacement. And I had these things called uh, lidoderm patches. And I gave him one and it numbs your leg. But when we were ha doing lunch, Greg came in. and Ken, Greg, your husband. Greg, my husband, okay, walked, right. came in. Ken looked at Greg and said, how about if you do background and, we'll, and you'll be product placement? What product? Oh, it's something to do with camping. It's like oh, some he likes some gear or something. Or okay. yeah, cool. yeah. Okay. It's just him, you know, holding it. And, and of course, looking at Robert Redford was awesome. And every time I would do my part, he silently laughed at me when the camera wasn't on. In a good way, you mean? In a good way. In a very good <laughs> way. <laughs> that was a first for me because he used my voiceover in the trailer. Oh wow! And um. Now let me just ask you a quick technical point on that. As a SAG actor, do you get paid extra points because you're in the trailer? No. And the way I found that out was Kerrigan's friend was like listening to something and then played the trailer. And Kerrigan went, that's my mom. Wow. And he called me up and said, guess what? Your voice is in the... And they show a quick shot. So what about Loving, which was about the Loving versus Virginia interracial marriage ruling, and it was shot in Virginia? That was such a powerful film. And of course, the, the reality of the story... And I was in the, the scenes that were shot in the actual location in Bowling Green. It was the courthouse where Richard and Mildred Loving stood and were told that their love was wrong. And what was your role? I was the court secretary and I read the law. And when I auditioned for it, I was like, I'm not going to memorize this. I'm going to always read it cold. It's like I contacted the props department and I said, I don't want to wear my glasses. Can you type out what the court secretary says really large and they said absolutely so they did and so i was able to just let the words be there unvarnished and unmemorized something real like a yeah. court reporter it was real it had to be real that's how i approached it and then of course it went to can and it was the favorite film for can of 2016 but you didn't get to go well i, I could have i guess i didn't see i was becoming sicker and sicker oh, okay and okay. and i and then i had to take a break Okay, okay. And I never, I didn't know if I was going to come back, uh, you know, because organ failure is a, a tough thing. To, but then right. Greg donated a kidney for yep. my husband, Greg Leach. He donated a kidney and this girl from Georgia, she's in her twenties and she was a perfect match to me. And that's why I can bounce around today and do everything. And I don't right. look gray anymore. Except your hair, but that's my okay. hair. 
I'm Everyone, like, you know what? I was like, I'm not going to dye my hair. I'm just going to let my hair all grow out and look at it. And that's what I did. Everybody did that during COVID. Mine's all gray now, too. I'm like, I'm no longer a blonde. We're going to see right. us for a couple of years. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So what, what are some of the other roles? I know Game Changer, a lot of movies you've been in. What are some of the other highlights that you can remember that people would think were interesting? Well, Game Change. Footnote. Game Change was released in 2002. It's about Sarah Palin, played by Julianne Moore, as the running mate for the presidential race of John McCain, played by Ed Harris. And Pat Moran. Do you know who Pat Moran is? Oh, yeah, yeah. She was in some John Waters movie. Best friends of John Waters since they were in high school. She called me up and she said, we're going to have you come in and do some improv. And I love to do improv. And so I went in. They said, we want you to read for the religious woman and then a woman on the street. And we were coming out of a Palin supporter rally. And so I did mine. And then two weeks went by. I knew the film was already shooting. I said, well, and then you're like, well, I'm not in that one. And then Pat Moran calls, today is your lucky day. So on Friday, you're going to show up at 7 a.m. And you're going to meet with the director. And uh, you're going to do a scene in uh, Game Change. And I get there. I never meet with Jay Roach, who is the director. I got into wardrobe and everything like that. And then... I get to the set and we're just going to set the camera. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Set the camera. We're going to do a wide and a tight and you just, you just go. Stuff. Cool. Just go. And it worked out really well. And they kept what I did, the parts that they needed. And then I ended up in Newsweek's review and um, LA Times review. Wow. Barbara cool. McNamara. And it was like the rather large woman who the camera falls on. And she zooms in and then they repeated my lines. And that's the only way I knew it was me. Wow. Cool. <laughs> cool. You got, I don't have a, a big agent or a manager anywhere. And so, you didn't you know, get a writing credit, of course. No, 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 no. Good. It's all, you know, it's part of the project. So let's move away from the screen for a minute and move to the Teresa Pollock project. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and how it's going to develop. I had met Teresa actually through my husband, Greg Leach, because he's an artist and Teresa loved Greg. And, and so I asked her if I could film her and she said, no, I want people to remember me younger. That's not happened yet. She said, I will let you tape me audio. And in 1989, in the spring, we went to her Grove Avenue apartment and she really told it like it was, she wasn't being the demure. Oh, so many other people around. And she started that. And I said, well, who were these other people that were helping you? And then she went, there was no one else there. There was just me. <laughs> And Dr. Hibbs said, start an art school. Wow, wow. And I have two hours and 10 minutes of her talking about her life and the arts. And I'm not joking when I say there are 85 years worth of information at VCU. In the archives, right. Yeah. But what this interview does is it really gives you an honest look at what was going on in her life and the things that she did and how she felt about it. Ultimately, how do you see this finishing up as a documentary? I want to see a great documentary about Teresa Pollock that is rich and full and informs people about the extraordinary movement of the visual and just the arts in the South. Cool. And, I, and you don't have anybody yet. So if anybody out there is listening, wants to get involved to help you produce yeah. it. Let them get yeah. in touch with you. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I've done my duty on my documentary with Dirt Woman, so I'm not going to do another one. I'm done. So one question I always like to ask everybody is, what are you watching right now? Other than Sprung, of course. Other than Sprung? <laughs> I just watched The Mind of a Cat because I have a cat. 
and it's a documentary on Netflix. And then we did physical and um, physical, which is that series about uh, aerobics teacher. Yeah, the aerobics teacher. Right, right. That's a wonderfully dark comedy. Also, a new Brit. With the, of course, we have Brit Box. Greg and I are addicted to all those lovely murder mysteries that are right. not too gory, but <laughs> right, right. Have, have a flair of Agatha Christie going through it. You never see any blood, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it gets your mind going on who did what. And then I love watching YouTube. I adore YouTube. Oh, you can get on that rabbit hole for hours. Yes, and it's so cool. And look. I just got my SAG residuals. Footnote. Since Bridget is in SAG, which is the Screen Actors Guild, she gets residual checks when the movies and TV shows she's been in continue to roll out in other venues. One of these might have eight cents in it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's what's always so funny when I talk to friends who had a small part in a movie and they get these checks. It costs more to mail it sometimes than it does to. I know. They start out pretty big and then you're, you know, little or little, and then it's like, but then when you get raises, it bumps up again. Like a Sunder, it was like I was getting a penny or something. And now it's like I get 98 cents. Wow. So. Wow. That's a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a huge jump. Well, now but, that yeah. you're rich and healthy, <laughs> I'm glad that you are back with us. I'm glad you're yeah. doing more work. Do you have anything else at this point that you're working on or auditioning for that you can tell us about? Or is, we'll just have well, to wait. I've auditioned, but I haven't caught a fish yet. It was interesting. Last year, there were a lot of the roles for like older women, my age group. Right. And this year, it's like I've only auditioned for like two things. Huh. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, hopefully, Sprung, people say, Who's that crazy woman screaming over there? And they'll say, We want her. <laughs> it's funny. And I, I can't wait to see what people think about episode five. Oh, that's your big one? Yeah, that's you really get to know Sylvia as a person. Uh-huh. Okay. Great. I can't look and forward to love it. of Barb. It's been great for us to get to know you as a person, Bridget, and as a professional Absolutely. actor. I want to thank you so much for taking your time to do this. It was my pleasure, really. Thank you, Jerry. After we officially ended the interview, Bridget told me about Greg's cool experience with the Tour de France. So here's that. NBC, when they air the Tour de France, they air Greg painting one of the scenes. Wow. It's so funny because he's internationally known doing this. And this is his third year, fourth, I'm sorry, fourth year. That began because he was an amateur long distance cyclist. And he loved watching the Tour de France since he was a kid. And I said, well, why don't you just do watercolors of it while you're watching? And then that turned into this. And then it caught on with the Tour de France, the people who do it. And then he did the world. The point is he does it in real time. Wow. So he's taking an old art form and he's applying it to social media and being just as relevant as a photograph that day. I've been chatting with longtime local actor Bridget Gethins about her juicy part in the new freebie show, Sprung. By the way, since four more episodes have dropped since the interview, I did get to watch Bridget's big scene in episode five, and she does make an impression. Plus, she gets to work the entire closing credits. I'll have my official review of the show tomorrow on TV Jerry. There are links to that show, her projects, and even her husband Greg's work for the Tour de France on the website for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. After Ever Happy, the fourth movie in the series follows the romance of Tessa and Harden, which was filmed in secret this summer and only runs on September 7th and 8th with special behind-the-scenes footage. Barbarian. 
A woman has an Airbnb booked, but when she gets there, someone else is also booked, and considering the title, it goes dark. Medieval. Ben Foster plays a historical figure from Czechoslovakia who is hired to kidnap a woman to prevent a lord's rise to power. Unfavorable odds. A neglectful husband makes a bet with the playboy that he can't seduce his wife. Saloon. Three mercenaries extracting a drug lord are forced to hide in a mystical region in Senegal. TV and streaming. Pinocchio on Disney+. Plus. This live-action version features Tom Hanks as Gepetto with director Robert Zemeckis. Last Light on Peacock, Matthew Fox and Joanne Froggatt star in yet another post-apocalyptic drama. Wedding Season on Hulu, a dark comedy where most of the in-laws are poisoned at the nuptials. American Gigolo on Showtime. This series is based loosely on the movie. It cast John Bernthal as a man who was wrongfully convicted and went to jail by cop Rosie O'Donnell. 1899 on Netflix. A migrant steamship in the 1890s discovers another ship adrift and the horrors associated with it. The Good Fight on Paramount plays its last season. You know, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more at tvjerry.com. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.